0: Thank you. Sometimes we wonder why the authors of the songs picked the words that they did. But when we understand the history, it helps us to understand the heartbeat. And that at least helps me to understand, let sorrow do its work, send grief and pain. It's not something we'd normally pray, is it? However, When we resign to the sovereign purposes of the Lord in our lives, it does make a difference. And so we can get to the place where we can resign to that which we do not think is possible. God's grace is sufficient. If you're not called to go through that experience, you can not experience that grace, but if you are, His grace is sufficient. All right, tonight we're going to look at the uh, last message in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 29. I've entitled the message tonight, Kingdom People and Eternal Destiny. And I'd like to start off with a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. The writer here says, I returned, And saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. This alerts us to the fact that the victory at the end of life's road is not achieved through swiftness, strength, wisdom, riches, or favor. But it does, it does alert us to the reality and the importance of making choices while we have opportunity, because chance and change happens to them all. Life is made up of a series of choices. There are multiple forks in the road that we will meet up with, that we will face. And each of those choices has a destiny. Each of those choices has a result. And so our choices become a serious responsibility, a very serious responsibility indeed. And I believe the Sermon of the Mount is a masterpiece when it comes to helping us to receive direction on life's choices. It helps to establish our belief system which creates a foundation upon which to make life's choices. And there is always a correlation between what we believe and how we choose. And so the Sermon of the Mount is going to be a foundation for making right choices. Jesus, as we look at this uh, conclusion of this sermon here, uh, he does not end this sermon in an upbeat fashion. Uh, nor a light-hearted manner, but rather somber and sober. We see words such as destruction, false prophets, ravening wolves, corrupt trees, evil fruit. Depart from me, cast into the fire. Floods came, winds blew, a great fall. It really does alert us to the seriousness of life. It does alert us to the seriousness of making choices. So the first point I'd like to look at is the choice of two ways. And we see that uh, starting in verses uh, 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so it does, it is very clear here that there are two options. There are two ways. There is no middle road. There is no neutral zone, but there is a choice that we need to make in either one direction or the other. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 21 verse 8, and I said unto these people, Thou shalt say thus saith the Lord behold i have set before you the way of life and the way of death and those that choice is yours and mine to make there are no alternate roads there are no detours to the casual and to the careless we see that the result of these choices have real consequences We see here and in other places of Scripture that heaven and hell are real places. And the choices we make in life have something to do with our eternal destiny and where we end up at the end of life's highway. Let's take a look at the broad road, at the wide road. The broad road is designed to accept the crowd. You can ease right in, unnoticed. Just blend right in with the masses. On this road, it encourages peer pressure. We just fit in with everybody else. Uh, Everybody does it, everybody joins right in. This road is spacious. There is a lot of latitude, a lot of flexibility, a lot of room, there's much liberty there is the privilege of doing as you please i had to think about that as I was meditating this afternoon a few years back my wife and i were traveling in michigan and we were looking for a mennonite church which we couldn't find due to highway construction and so we finally decided to stop in at a community free church was the name of the church and uh we endeavored to enter into the worship experience and I, I, I can honestly say that I think there was aspects of the service that I was blessed by. But as we parted, there was a young man on the carport waiting for his mother to come and the beat on his radio was, well, I'm surprised the car didn't dance, it was that intense. Uh, we went out to the parking lot and getting into our car and here there was a group of adults that were smoking. Apparently, apparently, it was forbidden in the house of God, but they did it outside. And I thought about this, a community-free church. I told my wife, I hope this is not the case, but it appears to me that everyone is free to do as they please, except maybe obey God. And you know, that's what this broad road is. It's compatible to all. There's a lot of latitude, a lot of ways to live out your life, a lot of freedoms, nothing to check your appetites, nothing to check our carnal desires. A broad road has little or no warning signs to remind our conscience of the fact that there is a God in heaven. Just ease right in. And because of the ease of traveling this road, the destiny comes up unexpectedly. All of us have traveled enough on the interstate to know that sometimes we're just cruising along and all of a sudden there's the destiny. Well, that's the way it is on the broad road. Uh, Ease, pleasure, enjoyment, fun. But all of a sudden, there's the destiny. It says here that this particular destiny leads to destruction. Its natural direction is destructive. The word destruction here in the original carries with it the idea of a place of damnation, a place of eternal perdition. And there's many a person that has chosen this highway, a life of ease, a life of pleasure, only to have the exit come up suddenly. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off or the end of the wicked shall come up quickly. You see, oftentimes people who are having fun in life do not stop to think about eternity. They do not stop to think about the future. Proverbs 11, verse 19 says, He that pursueth evil pursueth his own death. Another characteristic we notice about this road is that there are many on this road. Some interesting verses with the word many in the scripture. Matthew 24, verse 12, Because the love of many shall wax cold, iniquity shall abound. I think I got that reversed. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. 2 Peter chapter 2, 2. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. 1 John 4, 1. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so we have a picture of many on this broad road. It is a popular road. It's a road with a lot of company. And surely we can rationalize. With so many on this road, we couldn't possibly be going in the wrong direction because, after all, that's how, where everyone else is going. A few years back, we were going from a wedding to a reception, and, and my wife wanted to know if I ought to know how to get there. I said, well, I'm not worried about it because we'll just follow the crowd. We ended up going to the wrong place. And so we cannot safely follow the crowd and end up at the destination we've, we're planning to go to. The crowd pushes you along a little bit, like a little bit like on the interstate. And soon we find ourselves speeding, and we didn't intend to. And and you know, I think I think God, uh, I think God invented uh, cruise control for me. It, it's a good discipline, and I need that discipline to set the cruise control. But the crowd pushes us along. And the reason many get off at the wrong exit, the reason many go to hell, because it's easy. You don't need to do much. You just cruise right along. You can be indifferent. You don't need to be accountable to anybody. don't need to be accountable to a church. Just do your own thing. The only thing that these two roads that we see here tonight, the broad road and the narrow road, the only thing that these two roads have in common is is that the destiny is final. The destiny is final. It's fixed. Let's take a look at the narrow road. It says here, enter ye, so immediately it alerts us to the fact that to enter this road involves a deliberate choice, a decisive choice. It says it's straight. That carries with the idea that it has an entrance with obstacles. It's not easy to enter in. Uh, you wouldn't enter it with a semi. You, 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 it's a restricted entrance. So this hints at a disciplined, restricted life a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his control of our lives. Maybe we have the picture here of stooping to enter, of humbling ourselves before God. After all, the scripture says, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And we saw that several times this week, the importance of humbling ourselves before God. And so we need to stoop to enter this road, this entrance. We enter this road We must unload the self-life at the entrance. We can't take the self-life along with us as we travel on this road. We must lay aside pride of any form, pleasure-seeking, material greed, hatred and jealousy, lustful gratification, dishonesty, just a whole host of things that we could mention. They need to be dealt with. They need to be taken care of. The Ephesian writer says in Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holy. Yes, yes, the old man must be left to die at the entrance of the kingdom. We cannot take the, the old man along. The old man won't sustain us on this highway. We need our hearts renewed and, and regenerated. We need his grace and his power within us. This narrow road, uh, the Greek would imply, has a narrow gorge, would imply maybe even a place of affliction and trouble. Certainly not the ease with which the broad road has. And if our Christianity permits a life full of pleasure, luxury. Let me remind you that that is not the Christian discipleship that we see in the scripture. There are some things that need to be laid off, taken off, that we need to die to. However this road leadeth to life, this destiny is rewarding. As a matter of fact, because of of the difficulty of travel this road, this destiny may seem to never come up. You know a little bit how it is when we're going through difficult, oppressive time. The the goal doesn't, the time of release doesn't seem to come so quickly. And so it may seem at times, where is the exit to this highway? Having gone into nursing homes a number of times to visit the elderly, especially after one lost their first partner, the expression was many times, why am I left here? Why do I need to persevere? I cannot wait to go see him and her. I cannot wait to see the Lord Jesus. But not all of our experiences are the same. We're called to walk the narrow road. And to walk the narrow road is not always pleasurable. It's a place of affliction, a place of, of, of trouble. But it leads to life. Its destiny is rewarding. rewarding. And so that's what keeps us pressing on. We're not looking at the troubles of this life, but we're looking at the ultimate goal of what Jesus has prepared for those that love Him. In John 12, verses 24 and 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And so the way of trouble is the way of perseverance that eventually leads to eternal reward. And that's what we need to focus on. It also says here there's few that will find it. It is not a road of popularity. It's not a road that is going to draw the crowd. Some will try. Some will try, but they soon turn back. And we know some of those, don't we? Our hearts reach out our burden for those who found the road too narrow to travel, who lost focus of the eternal reward and were caught up with their immediate difficulty. The easy road is much more appealing to the majority. But we recognize, as the scripture teaches us, that that's the way to destruction. To do what's right, as God's people, many times we will find ourselves traveling alone, traveling on the narrow road. You see, the kingdom of heaven is little with a little door for little people. And we need to humble ourselves to enter that narrow place. Not many are traveling this road. And so we have the choice of the two roads. The second choice I want to look at, we have the choice of two fruit, or we could call it two professions. And we see that in verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now Jesus takes on a little more of a serious note here. He says, beware, beware, be on guard. If we're going to continue on the narrow road, it is very clear that we must be careful who our teachers are. That's what he's warning us about, about false prophets. The word false is the, is the word, Greek word pseudo, a pseudo prophet. One who is not real, one who is a sham, one who is a pretender, one who is a religious imposter, maybe even a hypocrite. Be careful about them. Be careful about those who come to you in sheep's clothing. Be careful about those who have the appearance of humility. Even though we laud it, even though we encourage it, we, we, uh, we, uh, the, the scripture teaches it. But it is also possible to put on a false facade and to pretend to be humble. Beware about that. And so the choices of who we follow cannot always be based on what we see on the outward. It says here that they are ravening wolves, which simply means excessively covetous. Hungry for a luxurious lifestyle, maybe even hungry for popularity, hungry for a large following. And oftentimes such operate with two methods. Number one uh, is to suck your finances out of you. Number two is to undermine your doctrinal foundations. Those are are typically what pseudo-prophets do. How can we identify them? How How can we be alert? Well, verses 16 and 17 goes on, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Fruit can only grow on a tree of its own kind. A false prophet may have something he can put on. He may put on sheep's clothing, But the sheep's clothing will not reproduce. They will not stay. Good things will not reproduce in the lives of evil men. They may be able to express it for a period of time. But we need to be discerners. We need to allow that fruit to develop and observe. We should not be hasty when we see these confusing messengers. These impressive messengers that put on a false front. We are always wise to wait and be patient. And there's many a person who's been deceived because they were impressed by their charisma and they found themselves following those who were, were very expressive and, and had an effective way of, of convincing people. The word evil here in the Greek means degenerate, diseased. Beware of those who are, who are degenerate. You know, a diseased fruit produces, a diseased tree, a fruit tree produces fruit of an inferior quality. It doesn't grow. I have some fruit trees in my backyard and I don't know what I did this year, but, but all of my fruit died. The cherry trees, the, the uh, peach trees, the apple trees. I, I have no idea what I did. Uh, I'm just a, a backyard gardener and, and maybe I'm sure I did something wrong. But when there's disease... Fruit will not grow. It'll grow for a period of time, and then it'll die. And so that's one of the ways to help us to identify those who are pseudo-prophets. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Notice the word cannot. The laws of spiritual reproduction are the same as the laws of natural reproduction. Poison berries cannot grow on a cherry tree. Verse 19, Every tree that bringeth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Lives without the fruit, without the character of Christ, without the beatitudes of Christ, are lives that are going to be destroyed, are going to be cut down. Destroyed in hell is the implication. I believe works are the fruit of one's life. And especially as we have this warning about these pseudo-prophets, we need to examine their, their lives. We, we have choices to make. We have decisions to make. And I believe that is possibly more true in our, in our era than ever before because we have, we have the mass media to communicate the messages of pseudo-prophets and we can find them in, in just about every direction we turn to. And so it's important that we are biblicists. It's important that we are fruit inspectors, if you please. Verse 20, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. The test of the prophet is his life. It's his works. There's no need for us to go on a witch hunt. We can just simply observe their lives. Just give the fruit time to grow, time to manifest itself. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are possibly one of the saddest words that we find in scripture because it alerts us to the fact that there are some who are uh, addressing the Lord, but it's very clear that there's a time coming that God is going to deny them. And so this alerts us to the fact that for you and I, our Christianity, our discipleship, our walk with Christ needs to be more than nominal. It needs to be more than by name. It needs to be rooted in our character. It needs to be more than verbal. It needs to be a life habit. Well, not, maybe even a habit isn't a good word. It needs to be a lifetime expression of the character of Christ. And so if we're going to live by our profession alone, it's not going to cut to mustard with our Lord. There needs to be not only a profession, but there needs to be a practice of the very character and nature of Christ. Well, what is it going to take then if that doesn't work? Latter part of verse 21 it says, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, it comes down to being obedient to the will of our Heavenly Father. Obedience, I would like to suggest to you, is the key to the kingdom, it is the entrance to the narrow way. Humble ourselves and then we become obedient to His will. Revelations 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do His commandments. That suggests activity in carrying out the commandments of Christ, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter in through the gates to the city. The followers of Christ who submit themselves to the will of Christ have the tremendous promise have, can have the assurance that they have the right to the tree of life and that they can enter in to God's holy presence at the end of life's highway. And so one of the choices in life that we need to make is obedience, obedience and submission. Are you a blessed disciple? Blessed are they that do his commandments. Are you and I a blessed disciple? Are you a doing disciple? Blessed are they that do. You know, I talked earlier about it's not just a matter of doing, but being. However, we can't totally cast out the idea of doing because our character is called to not only be, but also to do and to follow him. The doing is not first. It follows the being. We're not saved by works. Works are merely an expression of fruit of what has taken place in our lives when we yield and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, we see three points in these verses. Verse 22 says, Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? Here we see the deceptive nature of outward religious form. Just merely being able to express the the testimony of Christ doesn't necessarily mean that a person is a true follower of Christ. We also notice in the latter part of that verse, and we have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Religious activity is not a substitute to obedience. And in my observation, there's been many. It seems that they could so easily be disobedient to the principles of the word, and yet at the same time, it seems their religious expression increased. We are called to make choices. We are called to make choices based on fruit, based on works. True, true religion doesn't need to blow its bugle. It doesn't need to bring attention to itself. We see that in Matthew 6. We also see that in Matthew 25. Then the third thing we see is in verse 23. And then will I profess unto you, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How close, how close can one get to their eternal destiny and still miss it? Again, I say these are some of the saddest words in scripture. I never knew you. I never knew you. No intimacy, no fellowship, no suffering, no identification, no submission, no surrender to the will of God. And Jesus says, depart, depart from me. Forever excluded, opportunities over. The broad and the narrow road never come back together again. They never come back together again. I do believe, however, that a person can repent and make a U-turn and go back and enter the narrow road. These words were not spoken to atheists, to the heathen, or to demons. These words are spoken to the followers of Jesus. These words are spoken to kingdom people. And this is why I say that the Sermon of the Mount is not for some future millennial reign. It is dealing with the reality of life on this side of eternal glory. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, "But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." God is no respecter of persons. The scripture, the truth of Scripture, is clear. There are choices, there are choices that you and I must make that affect eternal destiny. The third point I'd like to look at is the choice of two foundations in verses 24 to 27. Let me read those verses. There, therefore, whosoever saith the, heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. All foundations some day will be tested, whether they're good and whether they're bad. While we are here in this life, As God's children, we have the opportunity to choose our foundation. To choose our foundation. There so whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them is like a wise man. Again, we see the necessity of indispensable obedience in following the directives of a wise master builder. We need to build on a rock. And this rock, I believe, is obedience. Those who keep the sayings of mine. We can't get away from that word obedience, can we? It's, it's saturated. It's through and through here. And so the sayings of Jesus are the foundation upon which we build. The teachings of the Sermon on the Mount are foundational. They help us to make uh, the choices of life that are pleasing to God and result in the right eternal destiny. First Corinthians 11, verse 13, Paul says, for, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That is our foundation. That is what we build upon. And so the test of true discipleship is our conformity to the sayings of Jesus. John 14, verse 24 says, he that loveth me, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings." And so we observe a person, maybe even it applies to ourselves. If we're gonna believe the words of Jesus, we must reckon with the fact that we're not making correct choices for the future. We're not loving the Lord our God the way we should. Revelation 22 verse six, these things, these sayings are faithful and true. Verse seven, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Again, the inference of obedience to the word of God. In verse 25, we see the rains coming, floods coming, the winds blowing and beating upon the house, and it fell not. The result of building upon a rock, the result of choosing the correct foundation. There's a testing time coming. There's a testing time coming for whatever foundation we choose to build upon. Paul says that every man's work shall be made manifest. And what is our foundation, brothers and sisters, tonight? What kind of foundation have we chosen or are we building upon? And when we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there is no storm, there is no storm that can sweep us off of our foundation if our life is built on the sayings of Jesus. And we believe them in our heart and we express them in our daily lives. Again, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. And doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. We have the choice that some make. They choose not to obey the teachings of Jesus. They choose not to follow their architect of life who is Jesus Christ. They choose not to obey the specifications for life or Jesus' saying. And so they they ignore them. And when they ignore them, they are building their house in the sand. So our architect is Christ. The specifications are his sayings. And we need to obey them. Many times Jesus has told us in the Sermon on the Mount, But I say unto you, Again, it alerts us to the superiority of his word. And so if we're going to make choices, if we're going to have good foundations, we're going to recognize the superiority of his word and we're going to allow it to have preeminence in our lives as we flesh it out by his grace. And I recognize that we need his grace. We don't do it on our own energy. Because if we do it on our own energy, it becomes becomes works. In verse 27 again, the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall up. Brothers and sisters, we have no security unless we voluntarily choose to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, unless we voluntarily confess him as the Lord and the master of my life. It says here, the fall is great. Brings out the idea of it being a spectacular crash or a spectacular uh, destruction. And so we need to be alert to the fact that there are choices when it comes to eternal destiny. There are choices that are within your will and within mine. We are created as free moral agents. We have the privilege of doing, in a sense, what we want to. The Lord is a gentleman. He doesn't force his will and his way upon us. He gives us the choice, the opportunity. And I believe one of the saddest things in eternity is when there are those individuals who failed to make the proper choices and they recognize, I'm sure they'll recognize that they haven't made those choices the way they have and they will be thinking about if only if only if only but it will go on for a lifetime well not a lifetime an eternity the bible says hell is a place of agony inflamed, flame a place of weeping a place of wailing gnashing of teeth darkness it is called the bottomless pit the sensation of falling forever great is the fall it con- conveys something that's spectacular it alerts us to the fact that there are choices that we make that have irreversible consequences. There is, an un, there is an unalterable finality that cannot be changed. There is an unchangeable destiny. But while it is called today, we do have the opportunity to make those choices. But there is a time coming. There will be no second opportunities, no second choices. The psalmist says in Psalm 36, verse 12, there are are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and they shall not be able to rise. But you and I have the privilege of making a choice. Kingdom people have the privilege of making a choice. We don't need to experience the awesome cries of, of desperation. We do not experience the need, we do not need to experience the, the, the frustration of saying, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. You and I have the opportunity today while it is called today. In conclusion, look at verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended up these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrines. Do the teachings of Jesus bring us to a place of awe, a sense of respect and reverence. Are we moved? Are we touched? Are we prodded to making eternal choices in the right direction? Or is this just another interesting story coming from the scripture? Or is this just another revival meeting? We've done it before, and I can just... Shake my shoulders and shake it off like I have in the past and move on. Like a duck in a rainstorm. Just shrug it off and move on. You have a choice to make. It is yours and yours alone. It's not your mom's, not your dad's, not your pastor's. Oh yes, they would like to, but they can't. It's your choice. It's your decision. Notice the result of Jesus' sermon. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. When he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. The crowd was attracted. They were caught up by what he said. They were impressed with what he said. But only one responded. Only one responded. It may be difficult for us to comprehend. As this master teacher stood before his followers, and he left them with these profound words. They were astonished, they moved, they were recognized, but only one responded. What happened to the rest? Are you, are you and I going to shrink back into the crowd? Are we going to shrug it off and move on? Are we going to continue living just as before and pretend these things don't matter? Remember, brothers and sisters our eternal destiny is going to be determined by what we choose to do with the teachings of Jesus today. And so tonight, as we come to this conclusion, I'm asking you to make a choice, to make a decision. If Jesus is knocking at your heart's door, wanting you to make a choice of faith, we encourage you to take a step in the direction of a commitment towards Christ. Let's bow our heads as we pray.